Hello, my dear friends, and welcome to another episode of the Painting Pictures Podcast. My name is Gabriel Roberts. I'm coming to you from Cochabamba, Bolivia. The second podcast from Cochabamba. Perhaps the last, folks. Things things are uh, busy. I don't know. Somehow the old podcasts just aren't rolling off the press here. The podcast press. It might be because there isn't a podcast press here. Also might be because... Um, I don't really have like super, super privacy. Again, I can pro- people can probably hear me as I'm speaking. Um, again, fortunately, their first language is not English. So that helps matters a little bit. So really, it's just you and me. I feel I feel at liberty to speak openly and candidly with you. As you may know or may not know. I'm in the middle of a art residency program here in Cochabamba, Bolivia. It's been pretty great. I've made a number of paintings. I've gotten into a really pleasant habit of walking down to the little neighborhood closest store. It's called La Tienda Don Costo. And it's run by none other than Don Costo himself. And he's a stout older gentleman who speaks like this. Dos pancitos, por favor. Dos pancitos en el mano. He's kind of like a Bolivian Scooby-Doo in old man form. He's quite friendly. And he sells bread, pan, for two for one. It's pretty standard around here. Two little rolls for one Boliviano. And uh, it's fairly fresh. He gets a huge basket of it every day, and he quite often sells out. I don't know what he does with the... I'm sure he doesn't sell it every day. I wonder if he sprinkles the leftovers into the next basket for the next day. So every once in a while, you're just going to get a terrifically stale roll. So that's my one of my morning routines, and I walk, I walk back. Um, the sound you heard at the very beginning of this podcast was recorded at the gate here at the house of Sustainable Bolivia, where I'm at, and uh, you can overhear the fruit seller coming by, calling out, "Papaya, mango, uva, papaya, mango, uva, platano, uva," just saying names of fruit over and over and over again. And for some reason, they all say it that way. Like there's an unwritten rule that if you're going to sell fruit, you must uh, speak in sort of a droning monotone. Sometimes they don't even say words. They just, maybe they say a couple and papaya, platano, and then they just go, ah, oh, ah, ah. I kid you not, I have heard this. So that's the sound of the streets. You can hear a lot of birds. There are a lot of birds around here. There are a lot of flowering plants. It's the rainy season in Bolivia, and we've gotten a little bit of rain every day, though not nearly as much as the forecast predicted, which was 
solid thunderstorms seven days a week. <laughs> I didn't look at the Cochabamba weather until about a week before I departed, and I was like, um, really? It just is going to rain all day, every day? But it doesn't. It rains a little bit every day. Mostly it's sunny and um, quite nice, really. The weather is the weather is fine, folks. The weather is just fine. So I am, uh, I've been here for a few weeks, made a few paintings. And tomorrow I am departing the lovely city of Cochabamba. Um, you know, lovely is probably not the, the best descriptor for it. Although it does have lovely parts to it. Uh, the place I'm going, now that sounds like a lovely place. I'm going to Samaipata, which is in the eastern province of Bolivia. Uh, well, maybe not all the way to the eastern province. It's still kind of in the middle of the country. Now, on a normal road, it should only take about, I don't know, three or four hours. But it's going to be at least 11 hours by bus. And most likely more. I'm... I'm uh, I'm hoping, you know, I'm optimistic. Bus will just get on that road, get out of town, no problems, ping pong poom. We'll be there in 11 hours, but chances are not really very good that that will be the case. But I'm prepared. I've got a massive bag of trial mix, and I mean massive. So much trial mix that I'm kind of thinking that maybe I shouldn't bring all of it because it's going to take up so much room in my bag. But I sure did make the casera at the market happy when I asked her to fill up my bag with her special mixture. And this isn't maybe an invention of my own. I may be the only person that's gone up to her and asked her to mix her separate nuts and dried fruits into one bag. And I know it's likely or it's quite possible because she seemed somewhat confused the first time I tried this. But now she kind of knows the drill. She knows I'm this weird guy that likes his nuts and fruits mixed together. So I get some peanuts, some almonds, some raisins, and some dried platano. And uh, and then separately, I buy candied peanuts. Because uh, what's a trail mix without something sweet? I would think about buying M&Ms, but they're probably like $50 here. You can't get M&Ms on the cheap they're going to really cost you in Bolivia. So I've got a big bag of trail mix. I'm going to get on the bus. I'm going to be surrounded. It's going to be a, really a classic scene, I think. A classic scene of, um, you know, travel in third world countries. It's almost like a cliche, isn't it? The overly full bus with colorful passengers, chickens on the bus. There might be chickens. And I'm not going to laugh, you know, I'm not going to laugh, I'm not going to freak out, I'm just going to, got a window seat, uh, I'm just going to hunker in and enjoy the ride, hunker down, settle in. I don't want to mix metaphors here on this podcast. So that'll be a while, I'll, I'll be gone for a few weeks, won't have the computer. Not that you really, like, uh, are dying about about this lack of podcasts, but I, I just I'm 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 enjoying touching back in here. Maybe you weren't expecting it. Every time there's a hiatus in between, between podcasts, the thought probably crosses your mind that that might have been the last one, and that's a possibility every time, folks. 
uh, in the world we're living in today, you never know. And in the um, state of me, you also never know. Because I don't know if I'm going to keep doing these things. These things. <laughs> what a flippant way to describe this sacred practice of podcasting. These things. These podcast things. So dismissive. I do have a rather sobering story to share with you all, and the main reason I'm going to Samaipata is to visit my fiancé, who is there, and uh, I am thoroughly, thoroughly fed up with, with being away from her, and pretty excited to, to be with her again. And that's because, um, that's because she's great. <laughs> So, but there's another reason that I'm I'm kind of ready to get out of this city, Cochabamba. You know, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not a city guy. I've never been a city guy. I've never pretended to be a city guy. You know? So you understand. You guys know where I'm coming from here. I want to get out in the country. I want to make some landscape paintings. And I had uh, the most terrifying experience of my life the other day. Uh, hiking in a group of five. We stopped at an overlook about a half hour into our hike up into the hills. Hadn't passed a soul on the trail. Hiking is not a big part of the culture here in Bolivia. It's kind of like something the tourists do. So we didn't see anybody else hiking this trail. It was a beautiful trail worked up into the hills beside a river. And we stopped to take some pictures and I guess you could call them selfies. In fact, a girl had a selfie stick. I hate, 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 I hate the word selfie. Selfie, I uh, hate it. I hate it because people seem to love it so much. Um, and they sometimes now they even use it seriously, not ironically. It bothers me when people use it ironically. It just bothers me that it's this thing all of a sudden, this selfie that uh, everybody knows, somehow everyone knows this word. It's a photograph, okay? And so you take a, people have been taking photographs of themselves for years. Now, I'll buy it, they don't, haven't had cell phones with rear-facing cameras in them for years, but come on, people have been flipping the camera around on themselves for years. It's not like it's a new thing, but all of a sudden we have to use this stupid term, selfies. Well, selfies are apparently very dangerous, besides being a stupid word, and I'm not even going to use it anymore. Okay? Taking a photograph of yourself is dangerous. In fact, more people have died from as results of accidents uh, resulting from... Jeez, that word twice there. Result. I'll use two different forms of it. Result uh, and resulting from. More people have died in accidents resulting from taking photographs of themselves than uh, shark attacks in the year 2015. What do you think about that? Well, it's true. And there was almost a, another casualty added to that as we stood there with the selfie stick. Brand new. And, you know... We're enjoying it because it's hilarious. It's a silly, stupid thing. And we all knew it, and the girl who had it knew it, and it was still pretty fun. 
it's pretty fun um, to be having all those pictures, damn pictures taken of us like that with a stick. It's brilliant, really. And uh, up ahead of us on the trail, we saw some guys. And um, they were bad guys. And they were looking at us. One of them was looking at us. And then they... uh, Hmm. I immediately felt a little bit of fear. And one of the... uh, the other guy on the on the hike with us had been robbed while hiking, not three or four weeks before, and he started getting nervous, looking at them and saying, "I don't, I don't like seeing that." And I immediately, despite the reaction of fear, immediately had another voice in my head that quickly chimed in and said, "Oh, it's okay. Don't be like." Don't be stereotypical, like, give people the benefit of the doubt, this guy's fine, like, there's nothing to be afraid of. Even though my initial reaction was, these guys are pretty scary, let's get out of here. They were up ahead of us on the trail, and the trail from where we were looking over the river then cut straight up into the hills to the right, and then along, or proceeded to work its way along the, the ridge more ahead of us, and they were right at the point where the trail started to cut and they um, they then proceeded, we proceeded taking pictures. The girls, most of the girls didn't even notice the guys. And then um, my friend pointed out that they were putting on masks. And I actually saw, uh, saw one of them putting on a, like a kerchief over his face. And so uh, my friend started down the hill. And I started down as well, and encouraged the girls to come with. And it, and and there was, again, I, I was at that point I was aware that it was time to move and as quickly as possible to get out of there. And um, but still, I, the girls hadn't quite recognized the danger, and there was still a voice in my head that was telling me, preventing me from calling it like it is, which was basically, the best thing would have been to say. Uh, something very that made it very clear how dangerous those guys were but for some reason there was that uh, same resistance to doing that as if I was somehow being insensitive or uh, presumptuous or stereotypical by by reacting in that way and so I, I didn't and so we started the, the walk down with less than um, complete appropriate terror uh that set in though when uh, my friend who was leading uh looked up and back and saw that the guys had started to run and um towards us and so at that point we all started to run and um it was i felt like i was running for my life I realized that I had absolutely no idea what these guys were going to do if they caught us. And I was also about 100% sure that they were going to catch us because we weren't moving very quickly. We had bags, and they were three men, young men, unencumbered. And we were five with three women, 
with bags and we weren't moving that quickly. And um, I was uh, trying to help the, the, the trying to help everybody get along as fast as possible, but I was uh, I felt that at any moment they were going to burst through the brush. They, they had started to cut across sort of above us on a higher route. And I just thought for sure they were going to catch us. And I had no idea what they were going to do. It really, it felt like if they had caught us and all they had done was taken our stuff, we would have been extremely lucky. And um, honestly, it didn't. The vibes I got from these guys was so dark and bad. Uh, I, I didn't think that we would get off that easily. I think that they would have... Um, made a little more sport out of it and and uh we would have been in some just in, in some in some big trouble basically some big trouble um so we kept scurrying down as fast as we could and at one point i turned back and i saw the uh, one of the guys above us uh let fly a rock or stone which fortunately missed us and then we, we went around another bend and kept going. And I'm pretty sure that at that point that they threw the rocks. Seeing as we were within sight of the bottom of the trail, which was this it's this big uh, brewery on the outskirts of town, a big building that was fully staffed, you know, it was in operation. There were a lot of people down there. That once we got to within a certain range of that, they... Um, they let up, and I think it was probably when they threw the rocks, but we did not let up. I didn't let anybody stop running until we got all the way down to the bottom. And uh, we told the security guards at the brewery, and they actually did. I mean, they basically just said, well, you shouldn't hike up there. <laughs> but then um, some of them did, like, fire up a motorcycle, and we're going to go up there. And no, I don't know that they would have accomplished much, but at least they were making the gesture of, of riding up. So, that was really scary, and the moral of the story is, you know, we had all heard about our friends getting uh, robbed while hiking, and um, and yet we went hiking anyway, thinking, well, the, they didn't get robbed at this trail, and well, there's five of us, you know, it's a pretty good group, but the moral of the story is, if you have any reports of you know violent crime taking place in an area you just don't go there you just don't go on the hike and um i'm i feel tremendously lucky for how we escaped um i think it was somehow it was very unlikely i think the only thing that saved us was that when we started down the hill it was right after they i think part of what saved us was the fact that only my friend and myself, or only about two of us, actually noticed or took note of the guys and recognized how dangerous they were. Most of the group wasn't aware of them, and so when they were observing us, we looked sort of unsuspecting. When they saw that we were starting to gather up our things, I think the way that we did it was casually enough that they thought we were about to head up towards them. And so at that point, they hid themselves in the bushes. But we instead started down the hill, and it took them, I think, a few seconds to realize that. And that was enough separation to get away. 
If it weren't for that, there's no way we would have gotten away. And I honestly, I still feel like there was some sort of uh, special help that we got that that just turned them or obstructed them or somehow prevented them from getting to us um, because we really were not moving that quickly. And again, we had all the bags and stuff. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, uh, angels. Thank you, whoever was involved in that. Um, listeners, <laughs> if you were there protecting us in spirit, thank you. And uh, so I'm, I'm just really glad no one got hurt. That's a really cliche expression, but it's never felt more true to me. Um, also, fuck those guys. That's some sick, fucked up shit. Um, I don't know how they can live with themselves with that kind of behavior. And I hope they get their comeuppance. It was sort of... Anyway, that's all, that's, that's all I need to say on that. But the result is that I am um, kind of shaken up by it. And it's been a few days already, and I've gotten to tell the story, and I've got to talk to my family, which was really good. And I feel like I've done some processing of it, but I still feel like I've got a bit of uh, processing to do. And um, and I, I just think it's time to get out of this town. I I'm, I'm find myself reliving the event, and anytime somebody, a group of guys is walking towards me or someone gets out of a car suddenly in front of me or something like that, it's sort of like their faces mirror the faces of these creepers and uh so it's pretty wild it's like it's the kind of thing i guess i never really figured would be a part of my experience on this planet i really feel like i've been in a little bubble i mean i've gotten the shit kicked out of me i've gotten mugged but it's never been with such malicious intent or feeling of like evil uh so so that's a new one for me. It's a new experience. And um, I'm looking forward to, to getting out of town and just kind of getting away from uh, from that experience. But I'm also grateful for it because I know that it's something that a lot of people in the world uh, do experience or have experienced. And to be able to experience it without any... Um, you know, lasting physical repercussions without even getting losing any money in the in the equation. I feel pretty blessed. Uh, so be careful, listeners. Be safe. Really, be safe out there and trust your gut. For God's sakes, trust your instincts. It's much better to risk looking insensitive than it is to uh, carry on doggedly into something that your gut is telling you is not safe or not good situation. All right, that's the end of that downer segment. I want to uh, thank you for listening to that, and I want to play for you the sound of some birds. Have you ever tried drying laundry without the beautiful sun? 
think today is the first day I did that. It's because it was raining and being the day before departure, the laundry had to be done. C-O-C, as they say here. Yes or yes. Also here, two options. Had to do that laundry, and it was raining. It was raining when I woke up. I thought, hmm, it's not ideal for laundry, but surely, surely, uh, if I have, if I do it in the early morning, which I did, got all day, my clothes hanging in my bedroom, uh, will dry. <laughs> no problem. So I did the laundry, and I rigged up a little clothesline in my room that stretched across my bed. And uh, I threw the, the, the wet clothes down. They were, the wash, washing machine does a fairly good spinning job on them. So they weren't sopping wet. I hung them uh, on the line and then the rest I put on my chair and then like a few socks and underwear I draped over a box and I set it all in the room. And about, let's see, that was about eight, uh, about eight hours later, <laughs> um, the clothes weren't dry at all. <laughs> Walked around feeling them. My one pair of athletic shorts were fairly dry, but the jeans were like not even close to being dry. All of the shirts were still damp. And um, I was just kind of flabbergasted. I don't know if you knew that, but you got to have sunshine. I then proceeded to take... Like, okay, well, I'll take the jeans outside because the sun had come out. So I took, like, the jeans outside and I hung them up. And then I came back and I was kind of feeling up the rest of the things. And I was like, no, I guess I'll take these shirts out because they're already on hangers. And so I took the shirts out and I hung them up in the sun. Each time it's like I got to walk this maze, you know, around and around the building and then back to the sunny spot and then back to my room. And then I'm feeling the other clothes there. And I think, all right, well, I guess I, I might as well just take these socks out. <laughs> and at that point, I really thought, okay, I'm just going to take everything out. But I there were two pair of underwear hang, draping, draped on the chair. Underwear is supposed to dry pretty fast. It's already been there for eight hours. This is This is the kind of thing I do. It's like, I don't take, there's something in me that resists just, just, just take all of the clothes outside into the sun. It's pretty simple. I, I was aware, like intellectually, I was aware that that was the proper course of action. But then there was part of me that wanted, it was like defensive about my previous decision to dry the clothes inside and wanted to hang on to some shred of satisfaction of that endeavor by maybe letting these underwear dry all the way. Well, finally, after like my fifth trip out, I came back and I uh, grabbed the underwear, still damp, and I took them out. And before I left the room, I looked into the room and I said, Anybody else?
That's the sound of the ice cream man in here in Cochabamba. Drives a tiny little van that has a few coolers of actual ice cream in the back. And when a child, a sweet little Cochabambino Nino. Uh, Cochabambino? What if they say that? I'll bet they do. Cochabambino is the word for Cochabambans. And then Nino is the word for child. Cochabambino. I'm sure they do. I'm sure I'm not the first that came up with that. But um, if I am, it's nice that we have this audio recording that I will publish with a timestamp so I can take full credit for it and have proof. Cochabambino. Look at the little Cochabambino. If a Cochabambino flags down the little ice cream van, the guy gets out. Really not creepy at all. I mean, not that ice cream men are really creepy, but this guy's like totally not creepy. Really cool guy. And he scoops actual ice cream cones from actual tubs of ice cream. Now, that's don't get the wrong idea that Cochabamba is like a land of wholesome food. There are more sugary snacks and soda sold here than maybe anywhere in the United States. I don't know. It's sort of like a big part of the culture. Go out to one of the little stands and buy a delicious sugar-covered pastry or an ice cream bar. So you definitely have plenty of, like, ice cream bars. But this ice cream man was an actual ice cream man with a cool little truck. And how about those tunes? When the saints come marching in? Are you kidding me? Where do you get hot shit like that, Cochabamba? I finally got out to paint recently. I'd gone as far as making a portrait of my friend here in the compound. So I was technically painting outdoors. Brief note on that, pro tip. Uh, I started using some turpentine because I didn't bring my Gamsol odorless mineral spirits with me. And there was some turpentine left over in the studio and I mixed it with linseed oil because generally I like to use a medium that's like a 50 fixed 50-50 mixture of linseed oil and turpentine, or some kind of solvent. So I decided, well, I'm going to use this because I'm painting outside. What's the big deal? Like, fumes? Fumes are not an issue when you're painting out when you're outside. Does it get any better ventilated than painting outside? No. Well, turns out my sinuses got destroyed destroyed from like three days of working with that stuff and not even like with a lot of it I would take a little bit of it and mix it into my paint uh, so anyway if something hits you like that again this is just a cautionary tale like you feel that in your nostrils don't use it okay don't use it it's probably massacring brain cells and uh, my sinuses took a while to recover Fortunately, they've fully recovered. And uh, after the painting outside in the complex, I finally got out to paint out of the complex. And the key was um, a moment of epiphany, or perhaps I'll just say an epiphany, about the way to paint. Now, normally when I paint outside, I have my beloved art cart that has a platform where my palette rests. And in this way, I don't have to stand and hold my palette like a sucker. It's pretty heavy, and it's really tiresome. 
Well, I didn't bring the art card for obvious reasons. And instead I brought my standalone tripod easel. My epiphany was to fasten with a, a, a network of, of rope windings in and out of a Dosaki's beer cardboard box face down. I attached and hung and suspended this box from the front of my tripod easel in such a perfect position for my palate to rest on it. Um, the box is even just long enough to accommodate the length of the palate. And that little baby hangs there in the sweetest position for me. It's even a little higher than where the art card platform rests, and it's even more comfortable and convenient for outdoor painting than the art card. So I stepped it up a notch with a little bit of ingenuity. And uh, again, it was one of those moments in my like artistic futzing around where I think, uh, why don't you just paint Gabe like instead of fucking around trying to set up a, bo a box or some apparatus? Like I'm always trying to set up systems for things and like I'm always like spending time organizing my studio instead of just painting. And part of me always explains that as like avoiding the act of actual actually painting. But in this case, it's kind of revolutionary. I'll put some pictures up, but maybe not. <laughs> maybe if you really want to know the secret of this, send me an email and I'll let you in on the secret if you, um, you know, piddle my poodle for me. Or should I say La Montaña? <laughs> that brings me to the story. I was out painting. I started painting in this park that's just like a four-minute walk from the house here so that I can just carry in two hands, one hand my easel with the box and another the palette. I went up to the park and I set up and um, on one afternoon that I was painting, a group of Cochabambinos approached me and were really cute, especially the littlest kid. He's probably like four. Really cute and really like bright and talkative and playful and kind of a little bit of a fucker though. Like he kind of wanted to play and like I kind of wanted to paint and the older kid was interested in watching me paint and I was down to like be generous and like stoop down and show them my palette and like explain what I was painting and this little kid just kind of wanted to like play and so the problem was that his older brother would sort of halfway control him and I was kind of expecting him to step up and like stop the kid from taking it too far but the, the older brother also found his, his little brother like really funny and when the little brother would make some joke or like mess with me in some way the, little, the older brother would kind of turn and just smile at me and kind of like encourage him in that way um I kept laughing and smiling because this little kid was so cute at one point, I was talking about what I was painting, and I was pointing to the background and saying, like, and aquí están las montañas, like, here are the mountains. And he reached out and, like, like with a classic sort of backhand motion, gave my penis a little flick through the front of my pants. And he said, aquí está la montaña. <laughs> Here's the mountain. And, um, and that was... <laughs> That was pretty funny. I told him to stop, obviously. He did it a couple more times. And um, 
And then his next his next trick was someone was cutting the grass that day. Of course, the one day I finally get out to paint in the park and they are cutting the grass, which probably happens maybe once a month. <laughs> probably hadn't happened since I'd arrived in Cochabamba. But that's how things work. That's kind of how the world works. Like, and especially if there's something you want to do that's kind of hard to do, uh, the universe will find ways to continually ask the question, you sure you want to do this? you really want to do this? Anyway, I did. I painted on despite being surrounded by weed whackers. At least, this, now I'm going off on a tangent, but this is the, the yard crew here. Um, they weed whack everything. They did have a riding lawnmower, which was kind of amazing because a lot of people just hear that lawnmower is not really a thing. They just weed whack the entire lawn. Um, but the best thing about them is they don't have any blowers. They don't have leaf blowers. Instead, what they use, big old palm fronds as like these massive brooms that just whoosh, whoosh, sweep up all the garbage and leaves from the paths. And they're like amazingly effective and awesome and really long and lightweight and perfectly formed for the task. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? So let's have a revolution where we exchange leaf blowers for palm fronds. Of course, a palm frond isn't going to get the leaves off of your lawn, so I understand the leaf blower has its place. I digress. This little munchkin, this little cochabambino, started scooping up clumps of the cut grass and trying to throw it in my backpack, throw it at me, and then finally, which was really the most annoying, was throw it up onto my pallet which of course is covered with neat little piles of oil paint that then get the grass on them. The older brother was laughing at it and then proceeded to help me pick the grass out. Um, I really should have grabbed the little kid and thrown him into the grass pile, but like I just kept thinking, like, this isn't going to go too far. But it kind of did, and I should have been more firm. But then thinking about it more, I think back to me as a child, and if I ever did something wrong, how my mom would make me go apologize to the adult that I had wronged, and how horrifically embarrassing and humiliating that was. But that was really, it's a good way to learn the lesson. Like, the last thing you want to do when you're a little kid that's just been fucking around and gotten busted is to approach an adult and have to look them in the eye and call them by the name and say, I am sorry. That's, like, the most horrible punishment there is. It's the last thing you want to do. You'd much rather just get smacked on the butt. And I thought that if I had taken grass clippings and thrown them into this nice, friendly artist's palette, like, repeatedly, not only would I have been made to apologize to that man, I would have been in deep shit for a while. And rightfully so. So, basically... This little kid, I mean, I know everyone's got their different styles of parenting, but that particular style of parenting is woefully inadequate when it comes to controlling your little cochabambinos, okay? It's a rainy day here. I just want to make a quick note about raincoats. Um... I have a rubberized raincoat. The exterior shell is 100% PVC. It's supposed to be, I think it's it's a raincoat. I think the idea is that it's waterproof. 
right? I went for about an hour's walk in the rain this morning. And I got home and I opened up my raincoat and I found that uh, right down the middle, right down the middle, now I understand that's where the zipper is, okay? But right down the middle, the front of my shirt underneath the coat was totally soaked. Not only that, I took off the jacket and I looked inside and it was basically wet all over. <laughs> I've been out for actually about 35 minutes in the rain and the rest of the time I was sitting in a van on the way back and it was coming down pretty good and I was walking in the rain. But isn't that what raincoats are for? Well, folks, I'm going to wrap it up there and go rub my toes because I haven't rubbed them in a while. And then I'm going to clip their toenails. I'm going to clip their lovely little nails. And I'm going to examine my toenails and, oh, you know, just kind of have a look because you don't, it's not like you look at your toenails every day. At least I don't. And it's basically only when I clip them. And I like to take stock of the situation and see if my feet are progressing on this rather disturbing path that leads to looking like my dad's feet. <laughs> Which, you know, there are worse things in the world, but, um, you know, it's something I've been in denial about, and uh, yet gradually it, it marches on in that direction, sort of my body in general, my mannerisms, all towards where, you know, the, the tree from which my apple fell. <laughs> so, I don't know, I'll probably never do anything about it besides clean my toenails and clip them. I'm not going to, like, I don't know, do something. Uh, like, I guess I could get, like, a pedicure. Maybe I'll do that. But I have to make sure they cut them straight across. Have you ever gotten a pedicure and they just, like, whoosh, like cut in your toenails? Like, make them into these big uh, half circles, like, that cut in the corners of them? It's like terrible oh my god makes me so uncomfortable to think about um i also have like little spider veins on the insides of my feet like on the sides of them like kind of purple veins towards the surface and that's probably just from like running around a lot right like hiking and stuff and playing basketball and stuff but you know not great not a great look <laughs> okay not a great look so, anyway, I'll just, I'll kind of come to terms with that. I want to tell you that Jack Johnson's new album is pretty great. And like all Jack Johnson albums, you put it on for the first time and you're like, this is corny, <laughs> cheesy, sappy, and just not as good as his other albums. Because his other albums are so good. They're all so good. They really are. If you go back and listen to them, they're all really good. <laughs> well, um, sure enough, all you have to do is listen to it like five times through all the way. And then you're going to be singing along to those really cheesy choruses. Loving it. <laughs> Loving it. And this new album, um, it's not that new, but apparently I'm out of the loop. No one told, like, how did Jack Johnson put out a new album and no one told me? And no one talked about it. The only new albums anybody talks about is, like, Justin Bieber. <sighs> There's a new Jack Johnson album that came out in, like, 2014. To the Sea, you realize that was already, like, four years ago. Anyway, Jack's still doing his thing, singing about his kids, you know, loving his wife, 
What a guy, you know? So check it out if you like that kind of music. And if you don't, just keep listening to it. And then go listen to all of his other albums. And then you'll understand. Then you'll understand. Oh, I didn't even say today's episode. I want to thank our sponsor, and I apologize for mentioning it so late. Today's episode of the Painting Pictures podcast is brought to you by the card game Slippery Slope. And Slippery Slope is a card game that ends when someone's on their knees sucking dick in the bathroom. So thanks, Slippery Slope, for sponsoring the podcast. Um, Look out for selfie sticks. And to close, oh, I also have to tell you that the email address for the podcast, if you have any questions, is Gabe Roberts Art. It's G-A-B-E-R-O-B-E-R-T-S A-R-T at gmail.com and the website for the podcast where you can find links to mm, probably not going to find any links in this episode but if you want to look at some pictures of art that I've made here as usual it's not all up there but there's some images of art I'm an artist and you can go look at those paintings the website is GabeRobertsArt.com Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, I hope to bring you perhaps one more podcast from Cochabamba, but before you know it, I'm going to be back in the U.S. of A., and my life is going to be rushing onward, and um, I look forward to sharing it with you. I'm going to leave you with a song. This is a cover of a cover. How about that? It's uh, me covering Andrew Bird, who is covering... The Handsome Family, who wrote the song called So Much Wine. It's off of Andrew Bird's album that's entirely covers of these, uh, The Handsome Family, which is a husband-wife band that uh, writes great songs but can't sing them nearly as well as Andrew Bird. And that's probably why he made the album. I'm sure they're grateful. They probably heard him and were like, oh, wow, that's it's like 100 times better than <laughs> what we did. But the songwriting is, is great. Um, and the album, that Andrew Bird album is called Things Are Really Great Here, comma, sort of, dot, dot, dot. All right, everybody, until next time, adios. I had nothing to say on Christmas Day. When you threw all your clothes in the snow When you burned your hair And knocked over chairs I just tried to stay out of your way But when you fell asleep With blood on your teeth I just got in my car and drove away Listen to me Butterfly There's only so much wine 